gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 114, the review segment for Friday, April 15th, 2016. Hope you filed your taxes. Also, happy birthday to my dad, who doesn't know what a podcast is. Uh, this week, it's me and David and Patch is here to talk about The Jungle Book, which is an animated movie that came out a long time ago and also a whole new movie. Yeah, everything old is new again. But it's also animated. It just is pretending it's not. It's a uh, directed by John Favreau. It is a uh, retelling of. I mean, I don't know how close it is to the original Rudyard Kipling story. Um, I've never read it, and but I understand it's pretty close to the Disney movie, which I have vague memories of, um, including two of the songs from the original movie, which we can get into. Um, but it's the story of Mowgli, who's raised by wolves in the jungle. A jungle that somehow has uh, bears and wolves and tigers all living in it. I thought about that. I was like, "What, what is this jungle?" <laughs> it does not make where, where are we here? This is how uh, this is how we got really mixed up as children about what animals lived where. I, I would not make like, a claim that a jungle like that does not exist in Asia somewhere. I I do not have that knowledge. I don't have that knowledge, but I have never heard of bears living in a jungle. I don't know. Uh, botanists or in a not if only Dave was here, there's probably a history of Walt Disney Animation answer to this question, which is, well, we had bear designs lying around, so we just <laughs> threw them in there. Or kids like animals, and we're going to put a lot of them in one movie. Yeah, what's at the zoo? They live yeah. in the jungle. Yeah, no, no giraffes or lions, so they didn't get like this, you know, it's like a lot of Lion King animals don't make the cut, except for a wildebeest in one. I wonder scene. why. That is curious that there are tigers but no lions. They well, figured yeah, out how to do lions for bed knobs and broomsticks, so it's very possible. Oh, wait, they also do a lion in Robin Hood. Weird. Wow. But okay. I mean, were there were there lions in... I mean, Katie, you haven't read the stories. I Have you? No, I mean, I remember reading them for like a school assignment in fifth grade, but not since. But I, I it, it sounds to me like they uh, were pretty faithful to the stories in terms of the characters they ported over, and they would have had to invent a lion character, and it just didn't seem worth it. That is probably accurate. Well, this is about a boy who's raised in the jungle. He uh, is being uh, uh, targeted by a tiger named Shere Khan who thinks that he doesn't belong in the jungle and wants to kill the man cub. And so he goes off on an adventure into the jungle, theoretically to go live with the men, but encounters lots of things along the way, including a uh, blue, a bear, and a snake, and some weird little animals like a hedgehog. It's extremely faithful to the first movie. It's practically a Xerox copy. Okay, so yeah, I don't remember the Jungle Book well enough. I mean, is it? It's got like all the the killing and the the. Is it as dark as this? I think it's dark in terms of um, cartoonery, as dark as Walt Disney animated features could get. Which could get dark, but when realized in live action, seems much darker. I would yeah, say. I mean, I, when I realistic like... uh, tigers are ripping at wolves' throats, <laughs> it looks a little different than when the cartoon Shere Khan came up and like slapped wolves in the face or whatever. I don't want to overstate the darkness of it because I think that was something I was worried about going into this. They would try to be like the realistic Jungle Book, which is kind Zack of Zack Snyder's Jungle Book. It kind <laughs> yeah. of is. It kind well, of that's is. That's kind of what the Tarzan movie coming later this summer seems like. Mm. So it, I'm it, sorry, it, that's not a real thing, Katie. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I apologize for Alexander Skarsgård and his uh, relatives, but that's his happening. Abs. 
Um, but yeah, it, that this is definitely it's still a children's movie. It's still about a boy's coming of age. There's still like you know little silly like jokey characters. There's adorable wolf cubs who are like the uh, you know Greek chorus talking about the plot of the movie. Um, and it's beautiful. Like I guess we probably shouldn't talk so much about the plot when like the draw of this movie is that it is almost it's entirely made in computers, basically, except for Mowgli, who's played by a human, which is a smart. <laughs> is he though? Is he? <laughs> well, he's paid played by a child actor who is a debatable level of human. He's they the definitely hired someone to go on the promotional tour and pretend like there was a real he is boy. He's the least this. believable character in the movie. I uh, I am no fan of child actors either, but uh, in terms of the uncanny valley, I feel like they made a good choice of casting an actual human being. Yeah, I mean, like if you saw Life of Pi, and I assume most people listening to this probably have at least in bits and bobs on cable. Uh, this is like that times several dozen or hundred in terms of the animal effects. Yeah, and I mean, I, I honestly, like, I like Life of Pi. And a hundred times like, less engaging, I should say. Yeah, yeah See, Life, I, is, Life of Pi is an infinitely better film, and Life of Pi I, has its own drawbacks. But as far as the technology is concerned, uh, this is definitely, if not a leap forward, uh, definitely a growth in scale. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, like, something to watching something like this. I mean, I, I saw it in 3D, which I guess I would recommend. I mean, I also saw it really close to the screen, which I would recommend more, just so it kind of fills up your entire field of vision. Um, but I, like, caught myself wondering from time to time, being like, oh, how'd they get the wolf cubs to do that? And then I remember they weren't real. And it's not even that, like, the animals look so realistic, because, like, you know, they look as realistic as movie animals do. And but they talk. Yeah, they talk. <laughs> how did they get the animals to do that? But it sucks you into the world. Like, it's, uh, I don't know, I found it very immersive and satisfying, kind of in the way the Avatar was. Like, the first you're third... watching something that you can't that you haven't seen before. Yeah, the first third is definitely like that. It is astounding on a visual level. And it's really interesting to see how seamless it is to get the animals to look like they're talking and still be faithful to the physiology of the animals. I was trying to think of Babe, which mm-hmm. I recalled them doing that pretty well. But those barnyard animals, their, their mouths just like flap open. And I can't, I can't – and they're always doing kind of high angle shots on the animals in Babe. Uh, from the farmer's vantage point, so that you don't really have to see their mouths move too much, yeah. if I recall. Um, and here, you know, we're on Mowgli's level, which means we're standing as tall as Bagheera and Baloo, or sometimes below them because they're so they tower above him. And um, you know, they get the mouths moving in a really interesting, normal way. I, that's the only way I could put it. That it, for, and I completely agree. It's very immersive. Uh, you're palling around with a bunch of wolf cubs. It's normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're cute. And then somewhere, a third in, you do start wondering if there's going to be a plot to this movie. And it <laughs> dawned on me that I fucking hated The Jungle Book as a kid. I thought it was really boring. Yeah, I mean, who was watching the Jungle, the Jungle Book when they could have been watching Robin Hood? And no, absolutely. I mean, we, were watching, we were watching Robin Hood and Dumbo. Like, the who Jungle wants Book to was see not a Jungle Book movie when they could have made a Tailspin movie, which would have been infinitely so more cool. We're, well, that's I walked out of the Jungle Book th- thinking that we are a few years away from the Lion King remake, yeah. where we'll actually get a, I mean, a the good like the Beast story. Movie is happening this year. Why would they remake? I think, but you'd I remake know, the I Lion mean, King like, just to see that you oh. could do this movie without the human. Basically, I, I wonder if uh, I think the Broadway play, though, would I mean, if we're really talking brass tacks here, I think the, the Broadway musical, which is such a license to print money, would maybe interfere with the idea of making a movie. They wouldn't want to do anything to dilute that brand um, like that is The Lion King now. But um, but they would take the songs from that show and then do it. In well, there's this way. Like you can't do songs. you can't do the expressionistic Julie Taymor version of Lion King as a movie. No one would would see it despite enjoying <laughs> exactly. the hell out of it on Broadway. 
Anyway, uh, off track, Jungle Book, the boring part movie we're talking uh, about. It should have been Tailspin. Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh, um, the big problem for me plot-wise is that... I mean, so the plot of the movie, Shere Khan is never a motivated villain. You don't... His excuse as to why he's so hard-pressed in killing Mowgli, not just getting him out of the jungle, but murdering him, uh, is never satisfying. Uh, well, it's not satisfying course, because he has he's vengeful towards men, right? And he's a right. worried about men, which is actually a, a reasonable thing for a tiger yeah, in the Indian jungle. Yeah, we have made jungle. tigers very almost extinct. Yes, but the, then you realize in a back or a uh, flashback that he went out of his way to like murder a man in the past who hurt his eye and shit. Yeah, and that he did that. He deserves to die. He's he sucks. <laughs> But also the problem is that you know, this is first act stuff. Uh, Shere Khan murders uh, Mowgli's wolf mother, father. who is father, who is voiced by whomever. And, uh, Giancarlo Esposito, I believe. Right, and uh, who's you know this is this is a testament because I recognize Giancarlo Esposito's voice. Uh, this is a testament to how much of a throwaway that character is. That I have no recollection of this. You barely like the way that they shoot it, the murder. He's trying to thread the needle between it being uh, convincingly violent but also not too violent for the intended audience. And what the result is, it's like a non-scene. Uh, it's it's really just like a throwaway shot. And this is supposed to be the emotional bedrock of the entire film. It's brought up incessantly for the, the, the movie. It, it yeah. barely registered to me that the father was a character. The wolf parents, Lupita Nyong'o and Giancarlo Esposito, are disasters and the movie has absolutely well, no emotional undercurrent as a result what's interesting about that moment that you're talking about this death uh early death not not a spoiler there's no spoilers of this movie come on everyone saw jungle book the, um, the, the boy who goes on a journey of self-discovery loses a father figure early on this is yes, shocking, shocking information <laughs> believe it reinventing <laughs> the movie here um the, the interesting thing about that scene and why it has no emotional impact is because john favreau decides like every uh, just walking through the jungle shot should be a big, wide scene so we can soak up this digital scenery, the lighting. It's always beautiful watching these characters interact and, and walk together, talk together. It's really beautiful at times. And then when you have even the closest or the, the, the littlest bit of violence, we have to snap, and sometimes literally, digital snap zoom into the action beat where you're, the camera is super shaky and you can't tell what's going on. And yeah, that moment where Shere Khan bites the wolf's neck and throws him over a cliff happens in like really tight close-ups that are shaky, and then you get to see the wolf just kind of flying off the edge of the cliff yeah, at the end. Yeah. I can't wait to get the gif of that. I'm going to be using that shit all the time. It's good, fantastic. Um, best part of the movie. But yeah, the, there's no emotional impact because the, the filmmaking seems so sloppy and schizophrenic at times. We can't have a wide shot of something shocking or something terrifying uh it's a complete reversal of, of disney tradition right bambi's mother dying is incredibly like takes your breath away this woman gets shot or this woman this yeah, doe gets shot doe. in the middle of the of the woods and you see you see it happen and here everything yeah it's it's a nightmare and i get what he's going for because there's some cool scenes where they're emulating nature documentary footage uh, really cool shots of the cats running through the grass, and you kind of have that like, I'm I'm out in the distance and I'm panning with them with a long lens. That's really cool. All the faux documentary stuff, awful, just really really bad. Mm. Yeah, although I do like how the wide shots uh, they they do give you a sense of this world. There's tons of little detail, uh, you know, bees buzzing in a corner, some sprites of light, or whatever the case might be, that that does sell you on the illusion of 
this world, um, which, you know, was all shot in a gray room somewhere, I'm sure. Uh, and so that is great. And so much of the film is based on world building, which is why um, it's so frustrating that after watching Mowgli walk and walk and walk the entire movie to reach this one particular place that we don't necessarily have to go into, um, he gets back to the starting location in the span of a quick jog yeah. at the end of the movie. <laughs> and it makes absolutely no sense. It completely, it's, 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 this is the brick, like the, the bricks and mortar of the story. And it has no respect <laughs> for them. And it's, it's worse than flying an eagle. He could have flown an eagle. I was about to say, it's like style. if the Shire was the back or the backyard <laughs> of Mordor or something. Yeah. <laughs> we took the long way. I don't know, there's something to the idea that, like, the world that felt so big is now less big. Like, you know, you go and you leave home for the first time and everything feels huge. And then you come back and everything's smaller than before. I'm not saying it's intentional, but, like, I thought about that, but kind of uh, let it go. It's frustrating because I like that argument in the abstract. Like, I think that's a nice way of putting it. It's just still annoying in the context. Lion King does that really well, though, because you can have a montage. You can get through those moments quickly and still feel like... Simba is running through every part of his life to go back mm. to the beginning and become a man. Uh, well, Mowgli has of none of that. The Lion King, like Mowgli, doesn't age. Like, you know, it all takes place over the course of a fairly short period of time. No. That's true, but you still want to show the growth, right? Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I really like where it goes in the end of it. Actually, when he comes back to the village, the way that he comes back, the way he's trying to come to trying to be a man while also being what he's been raised as. I like that conflict. I like the relationship with Bagheera the Black Panther that kind of helps develop that um, Baloo being kind of less important to the emotional thread which is funny because he's like the character everyone remembers from the animated movie um, but, and he's, but he's like the funny most fun yeah I he's definitely the most fun but like when it comes time for like the plot to you know get into action for the ending like he's not no. he's not an emotional beat at all no. it's not really a plot driven movie and so that's why no. Baloo but that- really gets the do you, don't you think Lines. there's a disconnect? Like animation can get away with being having this storybook quality where you're kind of flipping through. Okay, I mean, now there's we're literally go see it, like it does the old and Disney animation thing of like opening a book at the beginning of the movie, which right. is charming. Oh, you mean the this remake, this yeah. live action remake? Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the all the the Disney animated films just have the storybook quality, so you can kind of get away having this ambling plot and. Uh, you know, situation after situation, just with fun characters who are very thin. But as soon as you turn it into live action, there's something more that we need. You know, Bagheera, who are you? <laughs> like, why did you take this kid under your wing? Why didn't you eat his head when you met him oh, that fateful night? Um, why does why, why does Baloo give two shits about Mowgli just because he got a, like a, a honeycomb for him once? It's very <laughs> weird. Also. I think they really downplay bee stings in this movie. Like, fucking Mowgli is going into uh, fucking bees, like nine different bees' nests. Yeah. And it's like three bee stings, and he's like, whatever. And it's like, That's I would be petrified. Uh, um, can we talk about uh, Christopher music? Walken as, a, as the, the um, craziest, most out of place King part of Louis. the movie? Yes. It is a wildly out of place part of the movie. And like I, I so they have uh they include two songs, the um I wanna be like you, the King Louis song, and then um Baloo's song. Uh, what the hell is it? The song Bare Necessities? Bare, Bare Necessities, thank you. They don't really um, flat out sing Bare Necessities, though. They kind of like well, sing no. it in passing as a, as a like whistling like, while they walk kind of it's thing. It's kind of like a diegetically sung thing. Yeah. Yes, which I um, really enjoyed. Yeah, I, I thought that worked really well. And then you get into the King Louis, I want to be like you've seen it. And it is really weird and out of place. I, I like this movie and I can't defend it. 
Um, yeah, it's it's uh, well, I mean, the movie flirts with a musical element with blues song, and you're like, okay, he's gonna hum the tune that we all know. He'll murmur a few of the lyrics, and we'll move on, and that will be its concession, its acknowledgement, its tip of the hat to uh, you know the fucking. Bear song. What is it? Bear <laughs> necessities. Bear necessities right? Is that the word bear in the title and we keep forgetting? Bear necessities. <laughs> is it like rural juror just kind of rolls off your brain? You can't even but, register. But then this like the most imposing character, physically at least, is introduced into the story after this whole hike up to his little lair. Yeah, uh, this like kind of terrifying kidnapping from monkeys. Like it's a yeah. it's an intense scene. It is. It, it will definitely give some kids nightmares. And then he sings this awful song, which goes on for minutes and just delays the inevitable action theme. <laughs> it is the and worst speak singing since Rex Harrison uh, in My Fair Lady, maybe. I, I would have to go back in the last 20 years of musicals. It just stops the but... movie in its tracks. Yeah, it's yeah, and bizarre. It's, it's weird because the animation on that character is really, like, that's a really terrifying ape. It looks like Christopher Walken, which is weird. Um, and it's like it's done this really good job of establishing this menace, and then, like you said, it, it gets into this really ridiculous song, and for no reason that I. But can also, tell. it's a total tonal shift, right? Like, Ogilvy yeah. shows up to King Louis's lair, and King Louis is like the Godfather, and he's speaking like the Godfather. Yeah. It's a big joke that he's this kind of Italian gangster, or whatever, and then all of a sudden he starts speak singing the song for absolutely no reason. He doesn't hold a candle to Louis Prima who is actually, like, up and dancing during oh, that's the old version. that's a clever word choice because he so desires fire, the red flower. The red flower. flower. Uh, yeah, there's just no there's no spark to the, the musical number. And then this big action scene where a thousand digital monkeys are fighting Baloo and Bagheera happens, and you're just... It's a mess. It's a total slog. I don't... I don't I really, this movie lost its beauty factor for me over time. There weren't mm. enough. It's not like they're going to lots of different places and taking these characters and showing well, them move in different the ways. Idea and, is that they're trying to naturalize it for you? I mean, they're trying to make it so that you believe that this is Mowgli's world, and and it is uh, like they're they're. It's sort of counterintuitive because they want to awe you with the spectacle of the technology, but at the same time, the point of the technology is to make you forget it, is to be like, okay, I believe in this world. I, you referred earlier to his mother as like a, a woman, and I think that is, uh, while a uh, inadvertent slip, I can choose to see as sort of a testament to how effective it is in yeah. these characters. But the problem is that, you know, as you said, by like eventually you get it, you need something more, and the movie has nothing to give. I mean, I think I agree that it slows down in the middle part. Like the stuff with Baloo is like charming and then it kind of wears down a little bit. And then you've got Bagheera kind of arriving in this conflict of father figures and it slows down with King Louis for sure. But I, I liked the ending. I thought the conflict at the end worked in terms of action. I liked Idris Elba voicing Shere Khan. Like there's power in that performance to me. Um, He's definitely good. He, he roars. He kind of won me back at the end. Yeah. I and and as much as maybe you guys didn't like the kid, I I enjoyed his banter with Bill Murray as Baloo. You know, they when they're just walking in the woods together, I could watch a whole movie of that. Yeah, no, Bill Murray as Baloo is great casting, and again, he looks like Bill Murray. The bear looks like him, which is crazy. I'm not sure. I think that's true, but mm. yeah, I liked watching all the scurrying animals. There is definitely an appeal there. I'm I, the question I walked out of the movie with was why did this movie happen? other than the commerce of remaking the Jungle Book. Like, what does live-action Jungle Book add? And, yeah, David, you, you're on to something, I mean, to really immerse you in it, I suppose, to make you believe. Um, not that I didn't believe the Jungle Book the first time and that it was really boring. But, um, yeah, I don't know why, what the purpose of this live-action remake is. Only to scare kids more. 
That's the only thing I can really think of. Have really adorable animals that they can imagine can come to life in real life. Uh, And that's the first third of the movie. And then the rest of it is just to scare kids. Uh, I mean, I think it's a way that you engage a kid's imagination. You can, like, let them imagine themselves within this and, um, you know, maybe buy it more because it's these animals look so realistic in a way that old school animation might not. Um, And to dazzle people. I think there's a way, you know, for me, there's an argument of, like, this is the point of movies is to be able to spend this absurd amount of money on this effect to show you something you cannot see otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> I just pulled up IMDb. Did you know that Gary Shandling did a voice in this movie? I know. I saw that. I don't know what the, the, the character is. Icky? I don't know what character. I think he was the porcupine. He's, there's a oh, porcupine. I, I like the movie. Oh, I remember, I remember hearing the porcupine voice and wondering who that was. Also, Sam Raimi does a voice in this movie. He, he plays does. a squirrel. Yep. And uh, at least two people with the Favreau last name. Sorry, there's John Favreau as Pygmy Hog, and then uh, Max Favreau was a voice, and Madeline Favreau were voices. So, <laughs> the family business. There so, you Jungle go. Book. Would you recommend Jungle Book? Who is it for? Is it for kids? Is it for adults? Is it for families? Yeah, who, it's for who should kids. See this movie? I think if you've got an adventurous kid who's interested in, like, either, you know, I mean, I like that Mowgli builds stuff, and, like, the part of his personality is that he's, like, learning to, like, That's be true. resourceful and be proud of that. So, like, if you have, like, a, you know, an eight-year-old who likes, like, tinkering and climbing in a treehouse, like, I would absolutely take him to see that. To wrap up here, I should say that there are bears in the original <laughs> Kipling Jungle Book, and there are bears in the Indian jungle. Wow. So we are idiots. Stand corrected. Look for the Necessities, a simple bare necessities. Forget about your worries and your strife. I mean, the bare necessities, oh, Mother's Nature's recipes that brings the bare necessities of life. Wherever I wander, wherever I roam, I couldn't be fonder of my big home. The bees are buzzing in the trees. Some honey just for me When you look under the rocks and plants Take a glance at the fancy ends And maybe try a few The bare necessities of life will come to you Should we briefly talk about the green room? Uh, just, green, just green room. Oh, yes, I'm sorry. Green room. Uh, yeah, green room. <laughs> this movie uh, with Patrick Stewart and stuff. With Patrick Stewart and stuff. Yep. All right. Let's, let's uh, yeah, happy. Jeremy Saulnier, who you will know from Blue Ruin and Murder Party before that, has made another movie that is sort of in the vein of Blue Ruin in terms of its tone, its nerve ability to fray your nerves. It's sort of a very terse, uh, expertly crafted suspense thriller business. Uh, this one is maybe marginally larger in scale than, well, I, and emotionally I'd say it's actually smaller than Blue Ruin, but it's, and also it's setting, but the star power. Has, does its does its magic? It's about a band, a punk band on the road in the Pacific Northwest. Failing their band punk breaks, band. Failing punk band. Very they, poor. Their van breaks down. They get a tip about playing in this one show. It's for a group of right wing nationalists, aka Nazis. <laughs> uh, but they're like, all right, we're gonna go in there. We're gonna I don't play think this they show. know that they're necessarily neo Nazis before they show up. This is uh, they're told, aren't they warned like. Yeah, I don't think they're warned explicitly that they're Nazis, but they're like... Eh, they're warned that they're very right. conservative types yeah. and that they yeah. shouldn't do their... Uh... Conservative types who have uh, shaved heads, by yeah. chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
And they go and they play the show and something goes wrong. They witness a murder backstage. And so they are uh, sort of cordoned off in the green room behind the uh, behind the stage. And things escalate from there as they are shouting back and forth with the various Nazi punks who run this joint. And then the punks call in their boss, who's played by Patrick Stewart. Uh, they are joined in the green room by... Uh, Imogen Poots, who plays the friend of the murdered girl, the uh, Anton Yelkin, and some other people who are in a bunch Leah of Shawcat. Yeah, Leah Shawcat, whatever. They all play the band. Um, you could pick their names out of a hat, I'm sure, if you just guessed in a movie like this. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's all very, very tense, gnarly stuff. Dogs, a lot of attack dogs are involved. Oh my god, uh, there's a lot of dog. Talk about. Uh... Jungle Book of violence and gnashing on throats with sharp teeth. A lot of that in green. Yeah. I was about to say, I saw a lot of wolves in Jungle Book. There you yeah, go. this He's is the web. adult Jungle Book. Uh, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I, you know, the movie is, it's Jeremy Saulnier, you could tell from Blue Ruin, knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing so much better than a lot of his, uh, a lot of the people who make much bigger movies than he does, that's for sure. And of course, he has the freedom to do that. Uh, he really knows how to put together a scene. Um, there is such a marvelous tension to the dramas that he creates. I thought that he applied his tremendous skill towards a uh, much greater meaning in Blue Room, a Blue Ruin rather. Uh, I think Green Room is really a fun exercise. It doesn't materialize into anything particularly memorable for me. Uh, but you know, it, it, I would have preferred him to make these movies in the other order. I think Green Room is the calling card, and Blue Ruin is the step up. Um, I don't th- doubt that he has a movie that's better than both of them in him somewhere. Uh, and I appreciate that he's staying on this smaller level where he can really make films on his own terms uh, within certain limits, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's really strong stuff. And there's there's no reason if you like movies enough to listen to this podcast that oh, you yeah. wouldn't seek out a uh, a new movie by one of America's more promising filmmakers. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, for me, it was a step up from Blue Ruin, which I enjoyed quite a bit, but I thought – uh, kind of lost its way over time. I, I enjoyed the the theme of it as well, and you're correct in your assessment that uh, Green Room is a bit thinner in that department. It's really just a uh, survivalist thriller uh, from head to toe, uh, from decapitated head to decapitated toe. And um, but I really, I, it was so intense in a, a, a holler at the screen kind of way, gasp from every move kind of way. Um, I just, it's, it is completely gnarly. The violence is sick. The violence is sick as shit. And it's so controlled too. Like I, I think Patrick Stewart is the real keystone here. Totally understated as this kind of neo-Nazi leader. Um, and there's story to these guys. They're not just villains. They're not just the guys who have to get a job done and are going to be hacking and slashing their way through Would you through say that kids. it's story or would you say that they're just like real people? Because I think that like we look at villains okay, in movies I- like this that are like so one-dimensional. And like Patrick Stewart, his dimension is, is a reasonable one, but it's that like he just doesn't want to get in trouble with the law. Well, I mean it, he's a bad dude. Right. It's very human then. Yeah. It's dimensionalized yeah, yeah. and the, the characters have motivation. Macon Blair, who's the star of Blue Ruin, shows up in this and he's kind of – he starts off as the the bouncer, or he's the, he's the the manager of the running this punk rock club, um, and he wants to 
uh, get Patrick Stewart to to approve of him. He wants to do a great job, and he wants to. And there's all these little touches about whatever their neo-Nazi clan is about. Uh, I think they get red shoelaces when they kind of graduate to the next level of neo-Nazism. And there's there's story and motivation going on in the background, even as these guys their their motivation is to kill these kids and cover it up uh, before the police get here, before sun breaks. And, you know, the the band's motivation and, and story is very simple. You know, they just want to be better people. There's a lot of nice touches in the screenplay, calling back to early moments, conversations. I like that kind of stuff. It's a little obvious, but um, it, it means Jeremy Saline is, is tailoring this script. He's thinking every beat through. How does this play into what's happened already? Even if that means, like, chopping somebody's finger off or blowing them back with a shotgun. It's all conceived and and written and that's what i really appreciate here and imogen poots love her she's she's kind of like, i mean she's a non-presence for me i like I mean, Aaliyah shaw cat a lot more who i totally like her sells too. her punk I, I think they're both her they both have so much going on uh beyond whatever irrelevant personal affection i have for either of them uh yeah. but um yeah no they're great and anton yelkins really is a guy who i didn't really enjoy a few years ago, I think it's really found roles that suit his talents and that yeah. uh, he's carved a, a unique space for him. And I'm now increasingly uh, happy to see him in movies all the time. I like people who get really, really badly hurt in movies who still are like fighting for survival. Uh, yeah. There's something, yeah, there's something about that, like watching someone go through something gruesome and then still hanging on and fighting like through. You don't get to see that. Hours. Yeah, exactly. I actually love 127 Hours. I like the movie a lot. This, the, the birth of this podcast was us liking it, David hating it. Well, if uh, imagine if 127 Hours involved um, using a fire extinguisher to blow back neo-Nazis instead of chipping your arm out of a, under a rock. Then that's Green Room. Would you have liked 127 Hours better if it had been that, David? Uh, clearly, yes. I mean, 127 Hours could have made several, any really different creative choices. I think I would have liked it more. <laughs> Nazis being among them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's Green Room. I think it's slowly opening in theaters. This weekend, it comes out in a few and will make it to you eventually, despite it, it's pl- been playing on the festival circuit for eight years. Ages, yeah. Like. And now, yes, you'll finally see it, and it will definitely come to you. If not on VOD, then that works. Cool. Uh, well, with all of that said, uh, Hit Patches, what was this week's lightning round question? It was in honor of the Jungle Book. Who or what? I didn't know which made more sense there. What, what's your favorite movie or your talking animal movie character? Uh, David, what, who do you choose? Uh, I am going to... Um, there's some good, strange answers here. Uh, but after overlooking... I don't know. I just feel like it's my duty, after overlooking any Fox-related movie, for my answer for this question earlier this week, to go with Dr. Detfink, Ronald Pollock, who says, Are you cussing at me, Mr. Fantastic Fox? Or Fantastic Mr. Oh, Fox. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm reading it as you wrote it. Uh, but yes, obvious, but undeniable. Yes. Fashions, how about you? I think I'm going to go with at face underscore nod, who said the great owl from The Secret of Nim. I believe his name is Archimedes. Uh, glowing eyes, inverted head, mouse bones everywhere. Still terrifying as ever. Uh, I love The Secret of Nim. That's... I want to see either Secret of Nim or um, Redwall done with the technology of... Uh, the Jungle Book, but oh no God. humans, just mice. That sounds terrifying. Or maybe mouse. I want Aristocats. 
<laughs> we're going in different directions here. Patches, were you not disappointed by your cats when you came home from Jungle Book? No, and I saw you tweet that, and I was offended. I'm He's like, so I... lazy compared to Bagheera. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, but Shere Khan has this exact moment. He has a, such a cat moment when he comes to the wolves. Uh, then he, flops, he flops over. He's like, "Fuck you guys! I sleep here." <laughs> I know. And I'm like, I "Yeah, that's my cat." That. I know. That's what my cat does. Luckily, too. my cat has not bit my neck and thrown me off a cliff yet. Yet. Get ready. Um, so I am going. Oh no, I can't find it. Where'd you go? Oh, there we go. I'm going with the M brand, Michael Kamen's, who says, "Does Homeward Bound count?" And of course, Homeward Bound counts. Loved that movie. That's my. That's my. Like, can you probably name? My, like, can you name the three? Characters uh, in Homeward Bound. Chance, yep. Sassy, yes. and Shadow. Correct. Wow. Yeah. You did it. Michael J. Fox is a voice of Chance. Sally Field was sha- Sassy. I don't remember who uh, Shadow was. Well, our listeners will tell us. <laughs> Probably an older actor who I was not old enough to uh, Bingo. know about at the time. Hang on. Now I'm looking it up. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find this out. Oh, my God. Wait. God, the Homeward Bound IMDb page is a wreck. Nothing is in proper order. Check Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. Don Amici is Shadow. Oh. See, I was 100% right. An older actor I did not know at the time, but now I know who he is. Fresh off Cocoon, right? Or Yeah, someone fresh off Cocoon. God, Don Amici. Sorry, fresh off Cocoon, The Return, the sequel. Man, what a, what a career that man had. He died, in, he died that year, died in 1993. <laughs> okay, so that does it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week. Uh, talking about uh what are we talking about huntsman winter's war i guess is that really the name of the movie uh, hun- the huntsman winter's war no colon according to to box office mojo jesus uh and the tribeca film festival lots of movies there anyway uh in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm matt patches i'm the entertainment editor of thrillist.com and i am on twitter at mr patches i'm david ehrlich i'm a senior film critic at IndieWire. you can find me on twitter at david ehrlich and I'm Katie Rich. I'm at VanityFair.com, where I swear I know who Don Amici is now. And I'm on Twitter at uh, Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>